Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. Many of you probably noticed that we didn't review the second legs of the quarterfinals of the Copa Libertadores a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, these things happen, it was due to a lack of time and resources, etc. But what we're going to do today is look ahead to the semi-finals. Um, we're going to preview them instead. We'll do a quick recap on what happened in those second legs. And joining me to do just that is, first of all, Austin Miller, a regular on this pod. How are you doing, Austin? Where, where are you at the moment? I am in North Carolina in the United States at the moment, Adam, and I'm doing quite well given the last time my championship squad were out on the pitch. It was a resounding, deserved 1-0 win over your Norwich City. So I'm feeling good. How about yourself? Uh, I'm looking forward to Norwich taking to the field again this weekend. Uh, I've, got, I've got a good feeling we're still finish ahead of Stoke on the evidence of, uh, of, of that meeting between the two sides. Um, Tom is also joining us, but not Tom Robinson. Um, Tom Nash, a, a debut on the pod. Some of you might know him as River in English on Twitter. Tom is a Wolves fan we, as well. We, uh, we found out pre-pod, so um, I think he's pretty happy with how both his sides are doing at the moment, though, Tom. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Adam. Yeah, I was, uh, was not expecting to start the, uh, the pod being named as a Wolves fan, but yeah, I'll, I'll take that at the moment. That's, uh, we're in pretty good shape. So um, yeah, thank you for having me on. I've written for the site quite a few times, but this is the first time I've been on the pod. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. You're you're certainly welcome. Let's uh, let's get started with with previewing the semi-finals then, and uh, and we're going to start by previewing the first of them, which is taking place on Tuesday night, and that is River against Gremio. Gremio, of course, are the reigning Copa Libertadores champions, and they've made it to the last four of this competition. Austin, can you just? Give us a summary of how they did it against Tucumán in, the, in that quarterfinal. Yeah, I think Gremio's quarterfinal with Atlético Tucumán was a lot like what we've seen from Gremio throughout this competition. They were good and they were the better side, but they've still yet to really be tested in this Copa Libertadores. I think Estudiantes were the only team to give them a, a real proper test in the round of 16. Gremio came through that. We've talked about their easy group plenty of times on this podcast, and they drew probably the weakest of the eight sides in the quarterfinals, a resounding 2-0 win away, and then they kind of took the teeth out of it at home with a 4-0 win over Atletico Tucumán, a deserved result for Gremio, uh, a couple of penalties, an own goal, and Luan on the score sheet, and they were through by a resounding 6-0 on aggregate in the quarterfinals. The defending Copa Libertadores champions certainly will feel that they have a chance to win this. And I think what has changed most for Gremio since we've last done a podcast is the Copa Libertadores is now the last thing on their calendar. At the weekend, they were defeated 2-0 by Palmeiras in a Brasileirão match. That leaves them off the pace for, for the league title in Brazil. Theoretically, they could still drag their way back into that, but it'll be difficult, particularly with their Libertadores obligations. So when you look at Renato Gaúcho's team and you look at this Gremio side, it's kind of Libertadores or bust now for a major title in 2018. They've got the squad to do it. They showed that last year. There's going to be a lot of pressure on them, and now their path gets much more difficult facing this River Plate side compared to what they've seen so far in this Libertadores. Okay, so, yeah, Gremio, I think we've, 
we've spoken about this quite a bit on the pod. You know, they've, they've had a fairly favourable run to the semi-finals. Some would say that River really is their first big test of this competition. No, Austin. Um, I see that they're fifth in the in 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 the league table there in Brazil at the moment, eight points back from the leader. So it looks like this Libertadores really should be their main focus um, over over the next month. Um, so you know we can expect them to be pretty much you know all guns blazing on on this two-legged tie with the Argentine giants, no? Yeah, absolutely. And and like I said, you know, it's it's a case of Libertadores or bust now kind of for Gremio as far as 2018 is concerned. And, and you're right in saying that they haven't been tested, you know, aside from, as I mentioned, maybe that Estudiantes tie in the round of 16, which they did well to come through. But make no mistake, this is still a really good Gremio side. They've lost our tour from last year's Libertadores champions, and, and they've lost Lucas Barrios, who, to be frank, wasn't that effective for them in last year's Libertadores. But other than that, they retained most of the important And wasn't pieces. that effective for Colo Colo either. Although he did, no, get, but he he had, did get that goal away to Corinthians, I guess. But exactly. He missed, exactly. A, he he missed his, a few sitters on the, on the way. But. Yeah, he had his one moment. Um, other than Agilson, their right back, who also moved on, he's at Cruzeiro now. This is still the Gremio side that were so successful. Last year, uh, it starts at the back for them. I still hold that they have the best centered back pairing in Brazil and probably outside of Europe in the Brazilian international Pedro Jeromel and the newly minted Argentine international Walter Kahneman, who uh, has been getting some run in the Argentine national team lately, which is great to see. Those two are the spine of this team, and they're going to be the ones who I think have the most to do against the River Plate attack. Lots of talent in the midfield for Gremio. You know, we, we've talked about Luan Everton, a new Brazilian international. There should be a, a scouting spotlight podcast on him coming out shortly on the World Football Index. He's one to watch out for. So there's a lot of really talented players, and they, they'll all be available for this Gremio side. Cicero, who, who came in last year and has done well. Mike Own as well. Uh, Hamiro, a good player for Gremio. If there is a hole in this Gremio side that I think will be exploited, it's their lack of a true out-and-out striker. And they didn't have one last year. You know, Lucas Barrios was in name their striker, but, but as we kind of said, he wasn't great for them in the Libertadores. And they haven't really been able to replace that this year. They brought in Andre, uh, the 28-year-old Brazilian. He hasn't really been on form. Jael, who has been in and around Brazilian football for quite some time, is still floating around for Grêmio. Can come up for a big goal every now and then, but he's not the type of goal scorers that you see when you look at the other three teams in this competition. River, Boca, and Palmeiras all have kind of that that talisman up top, that, you know, kind of the plan B to go to. Gremio really don't have that player. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Renato Gaúcho chooses to do in this semifinal against whatever who he chooses to play. Uh, but I think the goals for Gremio will probably come outside of that striker role. You look at a player like Allison, who has been big for them this year. He's another one to keep the eye on. But it's going to come from the wings, from Luan and Everton. Those are their two best players. And I think that's where Gremio will, will look to exploit. Those two players getting up, pushing up on the wing, cutting back inside. The fullbacks for River, I think, would be the two players that I would be most interested in to hear Tom's perspective defensively. Because I think those are the two players that will probably have the most to do. Uh, final note on Gremio, Marcelo Groi, a really good goalkeeper. 
had that fantastic save against Barcelona last year in the Copa Libertadores that gets replayed over and over on Brazilian TV um, for just how good it was. You know, he's a, a big plus for this Gremio side as well, so that if that defense of Kahneman and Jeromo is breached, he's back there. And if it does come down to a penalty shootout, I think Gremio will be confident in their option, particularly when you consider what River have on the other side. I think Gromi can match Franco Armani, one of the best goalkeepers in South America. Okay, yeah, so this is, um, at this point, I do want to just mention that I think this is the first time for a few years now where whatever happens in these semifinals, we're going to have like two very big clubs from South America um, in in, in the final. Um, So with that in mind, Tom, River, this this is a pretty good opportunity for them to get into their first final for a few years. Um, they won it back in 2014, I want to say. Was it 2014? 2015, three years. 2015, there we go. Um, and with a player like Quintero um, in the form he's in at the moment, I kind of see them as favourites heading into this tie. Um, what's the feeling there in Argentina of their chances, and uh, and is it like, and do they like me think that Quintero is the key to getting them into this final? Yeah, I would say there's a lot of that feeling around, um, especially as Quintero was the man who who rescued the quarterfinal. Just to just to touch on that, the uh, that deadlocked uh, River Independiente quarterfinal. Um, which uh, began as the second leg. We began at nil-nil. Um, River went one up. Independiente equalised almost straight away. And then about 20 minutes from the end, River were on course to be eliminated on the away goals rule. And there he is, up pops uh, uh, World Football Index's uh, favourite little Colombian playmaker with his left foot. And he scores from outside the box with, like I say, 20 minutes to go. Uh, superb strike and that's what swung the tie in River's favour um, so he's already been key in this this uh, run to the semi-final and yeah he's you guys have touched on it before on this podcast he's his level of talent is uh, is he's not normal and especially in South America it's, it's not normal to have a player that talented anymore do you think it's starts? so do you think it's I don't think he will start uh, but that's not to say because he's not playing well or anything like that. I don't think he'll start mainly for tactical reasons. Um, so, so far in the Libertadores, Gachado has seemed to like to play with uh, four midfielders who are dedicated to winning the ball back when we've not got it. So we have players who are stronger than Quintero in that department. For instance, you'll probably see Nacho Fernandez start if he's fit. Um, so you probably won't see him from the beginning, but I think Gachado has found his favourite way to use him, which is to introduce him for that last half an hour when the opposition's legs begin to tire, their, their minds begin to tire even, and that's when Quintero so many times has come off the bench with fresh legs and he's really unlocked defences in that last half an hour. Because for all his talent, we shouldn't forget that Quintero is not anywhere near as fit as most other midfielders in the game. 
And Tom, that's actually a really interesting point because I'd made that point that I would have liked to see Quintero start. You know, I want to see Quintero from the start in this competition. And and you and I talked on Twitter one day and you provided great reasons for why he doesn't. And then I think we almost saw that on display in the quarterfinals when he did start the opening that leg against Independiente and he wasn't as effective as he has been. And then he had to be taken off. And then in the second leg, you saw Quintero kind of return to all of his glory. It's weird that the most important player is most effective when not starting. But like you said, it, it does feel like Gallardo has found the proper place and time to use Quintero and the way that he wants him to function in this river team. And at this point, it doesn't feel like that needs to be changed, I guess, going forward. Exactly, yeah. Um, I mean, we stumbled across this formula almost by accident because he arrived fairly unfit to revert in January. So the only option was to use him for 20 or 30 minutes at the end of games. Uh, and we got to see how he could change a game with his precision passing. Um, so, yeah, we, we stumbled across that formula. And as, as he got fitter, then he began to start more. And like you say, the impact wasn't quite there when he plays from the start, not in all games anyway. So, yeah, like you say, it was completely on show in the quarterfinal. He started the away leg and was fairly ineffective. He had one of his quietest games for River. Uh, and then he came on in the second leg and, and he won the tie for River. So, um, yeah, although, although it, you know, the natural reaction for football fans is to want to see him start and want to see him play as much as possible, as, as, as much as his little legs will carry him. Um, it does seem that Gachado's found his, his favourite way to use him. And, and Gachado, we should say, is not a coach who is scared of having big names on the bench. Uh, he does like to have some strength in depth and he does like to have options that can change the game around the, the hour mark if it's not going the way he wanted. Another thing I wanted to ask you about, Tom, I think that's that's fascinating with Quintero and, it, and it's just so interesting to see that. Uh, Lucas Prato at River Plate, obviously a big money move for Sao Paulo, who it felt like we're fortunate to be able to get rid of him for such a price after he had been relatively ineffective for Sao Paulo. What do you expect from Lucas Prato going forward for River Plate and particularly in this tie? And how important do you view, do you view him in the context of this River Plate attack? Well, it's interesting. It's come at a time that um, River have so many strikers in good form that Prato seems to be on the verge of losing his place in the team. Um, in fact, for the last game River played, which was a Copa Argentina quarterfinal, which the club are taking very seriously because they need to win that trophy in order to qualify for next year's Libertadores. So it's uh, very much one of our priorities this semester is to win that cup. Um, Prato started on the bench for the first time since that, that big money move that you were talking about. Um, and that's not necessarily because he's playing terribly. It's more because uh, Nacho Scocco has found some amazing form. And the Colombian striker, Rafael uh, Santos Borre, is really turning into an excellent striker. So given the form that those two guys have hit, and Prato is not particularly standing out at the moment. Even if you couldn't accuse him of playing, playing badly, he's not particularly standing out. So it seems as if, uh, for the at least for the home leg on, on Tuesday, the first leg, it seems as if Prato might well be on the bench for it. Uh, but that's not confirmed. We'll have to wait and see what happens. I have to say I've been pretty. I have to say I've been pretty impressed with uh, with some of the football River have been playing recently. I, I, I watched uh, I watched their match against Lanús a couple of weeks ago in the league, and uh, on, on the basis of that and from what I've seen of them in this Libertadores uh, in the knockout stages, 
at least. They've, they've certainly got enough quality there. They're in attack and they're also very solid in defence. That, like I said at the start, I'd make them favourites for this one. How do you think they will approach this first leg against Gremio, Tom? It's an interesting one because um, Gashara likes to have the away leg first and the home leg second. So the, the classic formula that he's used to get so far in all these international competitions since he took over in 2014 is... To go for that conservative away leg, which you guys have sat and watched so many times, uh, usually ends in a nil-nil draw. Um, not always a dull nil-nil draw. Sometimes it can be quite exciting, but like the away leg with Racing and like the away leg with Independiente, it's, it's a conservative approach that tends to bring a, a nil-nil and then try to hit the opposition in the home leg with just as much pace and intensity and, and that 65,000 crowd uh, urging them on in uh, El Monumental and try and win the home leg, you know, 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, 3-1, whatever it might be. So um, this is interesting because it's the first time in a year that we've had it the other way around. It's the first time that we've got the home leg first and the away leg second. Um, so I would imagine that you'll see River really go for this one because, um, you know, for, I think the mentality of, in Argentina is, is going to be the same for Boca as well when we come to that game that, if you have a Brazilian team, you really need to win the home leg because it's quite unusual for an Argentine team to not win the home leg and to be able to go to Brazil and win the away leg. So you'll probably see River really try and go for a, a good result, a 2-0 or a 2-1 or, or something like that. You, you'll probably see them throw a bit more caution to the wind than, than you have done on other occasions. And um, Yeah, the same question to you, Austin. How, how do you think Gremio will approach this away leg? Um, we've seen Brazilian sides sort of very happy to just try and get a nil-nil or sneak a one-nil or even take a one-nil defeat. Um, so, yeah, do, do, can we expect any kind of attacking plan for Gremio or do you think it will be mostly backs to the wall stuff? Um, I think backs to the wall stuff is, is probably a bit harsh on, on what Gremio will look to do. But what they were so successful at last year and what they've been so successful at this year is a counterattacking style. I don't think you're going to see Gremio on the ball, you know, looking to dominate possession, looking to pin Ritterberg back. I wouldn't be surprised if Gremio maybe looked to throw a very quick early punch at River. We saw Palmatis do this against Colo Colo in the quarterfinals in that maybe go off tendency, if you will, and attack for the first five or ten minutes and see if you can scrape a quick away goal and then hold on to it. But if they don't do that and if they or if they do that and are unsuccessful, yeah, Gremio is going to rely on their d defense to try to get through this away leg. It, it's the strength of their team, you know, the 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 ability of their defense coupled with the pace of their wingers. And I think that's what they're going to look to do probably in both legs. But for sure, in this first leg, they'll sit back. They'll allow River to have the ball, but then they'll look to break quickly. And I think they will commit numbers forward when they do look to break. I don't think you're going to see Luan or, or whoever that striker is, you know, left alone on an island trying to go two on three to score. But I don't think you're you're going to see a lot of the ball if, with Gremio so far. They, they'd obviously love to get that away goal. 
against Estudiantes in the round of 16, that away goal was their lifeline. Uh, they would have had a really tough time, I think, getting back into that tie had they not scored that away goal right before halftime off of the head of Kahneman. I think you'll see the game plan a lot like what you saw against Estudiantes, less so than what you saw against Tucumán, because I think Gremio like their chances to take the match to Tucumán. They're going to look to be clinical. They'll look to hit on the counter, but I don't think you're going to see them looking to have the ball quite as much in, the, in this first leg and then see where they're at as they assess their options for that return leg then. Yeah, just just suddenly sprang to my mind what happened uh, last year in the semifinals because Gremio, of course, went away, didn't they, to Ecuador to play uh, Barcelona. They had that first leg away, and like you say, they got that quick goal. Um, and, and it kind of killed the atmosphere there in Guayaquil, if I, if I recall rightly, and they got another one quite soon after. Just looking at it now, yep, um, after seven minutes, Luan got one, and then Adilson got one after 20 minutes. So... Yeah, they ended up winning that game 3-0, but they were two up inside 20 minutes. Now, obviously, River uh, are a lot better side than that Barcelona one from last year. But I, I, th- I think you've made a good point there, Austin, in that they could they could look to spring a surprise in, 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 in the opening quarter of this match in, in the away leg and try and get that away goal and put River under a lot of pressure then for the rest of the match. Yeah, I think you would see Gremio be very active in the first 10 to 15 minutes and then in the last 10 to 15 minutes, depending how the match is sitting, to try and scrape a late away goal then. Just because, like I said, I think the expectation for River will probably be that you'll face a Gremio side that's sitting back, you know, and I think that that would be the, the common expectation of what Gremio will do. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to, like, like I said, and like you said, like they did against Barcelona last year, hit out quick, score early, and then they've got something to protect. And then they can really sit in and look to counter, maybe more so than they could from even just a nil-nil scoreline. There's been a few, it's probably a question for you, actually, Austin. There's been a few injury concerns around Gremio. Uh, uh, Grohe, the goalkeeper, uh, Luan and Everton have all picked up knocks, uh, I think, if not this weekend, then the previous weekend just gone. Um, just how much of an impact would that have if, say, someone like a Luan or an Everton was not to be able to play in the first leg? Yeah, Tom, it's a very good question. Um, this Gremio side, and we saw it last year, more so in the Brasile down than in the Libertadores, and we've seen it this year in the Brasile down. They're not terribly deep. Uh, there was a, a running joke last year the Gremio reserves were basically the side that played the Brasile down, and they didn't do all that well because they were so focused on Libertadores. They've done a bit better this year, those Gremio reserves, but this is not a side that, you know, like you see with Boca Juniors and like you even see with Palmeiras that can throw out 18 to 20 players effectively. This is a Gremio side that probably goes 14, 15 players deep. So an injury, particularly to one of those key men, would be crucial for them. From right now, we're recording this podcast on Friday night ahead of the Tuesday match. It looks like all three of those players that you mentioned, Everton, Luan, and Marcelo Groe, will be okay to play. Everton was supposed to be in this Brazil squad for the last couple of friendlies against Saudi Arabia and Argentina. He had to pull out of that injured, but it does look like he'll be able to make it for that first leg. But certainly something to keep an eye on as it comes closer to match time. Marcelo Groe had to miss out of the league match against Palmeiras. Paulo Victor, their backup goalkeeper, started. He's by no means on the same level as Marcelo Groe, but he's he's a thoroughly competent goalkeeper. And if he did have to stand in for one of the legs, I don't think you would see too much 
uh, of a drop in quality. It would be a difference, particularly in in penalties at the end of the tie. But you know, for the first leg, I don't think it would be that big uh, of a drop off. So I think all of those players should play, but it's something Gremio will have to watch out for. Not a very deep side. Any one injury, particularly to a key player, could set them off in this tie. Okay, let's move on to talk about the other semi-final coming up. This one will be played on Wednesday night, and it is between Boca Juniors and Palmeiras. Now, Palmeiras, of course, long-term listeners will know, is Austin's favourite team. So I'm going to start with him and, uh, and let him tell us all about how they made it to the semi-final and what he expects they will do against Boca in, 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 in this match in the Bombonera, a, a stadium where they grabbed a 2-0 victory, was it, Austin, in the, in the group stage? Indeed, and, and they were the first, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, the first team to ever win by multiple goals in La Bombonera against Boca Juniors. Uh, so quite an accomplishment that was for Palmeiras in the group stage. Indeed, and, and no, indeed, and, but that was under a different head coach. Um, n- now you have Scolari in charge, and and uh, and Scolari certainly tightened up the Palmeiras defence there, as we saw over those two legs against Colo Colo, where really Colo Colo certainly in the, in that away leg didn't really lay a glove on 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 the Palmeiras backline. So, um, are you? Confident going into this one after what you saw against uh, Colo Colo, or is it, or is the sort of step up in quality makes it hard to judge? Yeah, I mean, it, there's no question that it's a step up in quality for Palmeiras. I think when you look at this tie, it's two very even teams in Palmeiras and Boca Juniors. I think picking a favorite would would probably be a fool's errand. Palmeiras, on aggregate, did quote-unquote, defeat Boca Juniors in the group stage. But as you mentioned, that was the Palmeiras team under a different manager, and and that was a long time ago. Uh, I think Palmeiras will take confidence from those results, but by no means should consider themselves heavy favorites heading into this tie. Looking back to the quarterfinals, it was the first leg, at least, was just about a mirror image of what Palmeiras did against Cerro Porteño in the round of 16, a 2-0 win away from home. Palmeiras closed that tie out against Colo Colo a lot better than they did against Cerro Porteño. If you'll remember in the round of 16, Felipe Melo was sent off after three minutes. Palmeiras gave up a, a bit of a fluky goal, but a goal nonetheless, and then kind of had to hang on with some questionable tactics at the end, went down to nine men, but were able to survive despite losing that match. Against Colo Colo, it was much different for Palmeiras in the second leg. A resounding 2-0 win. Goals bookending halftime. One from Dudu. One from Miguel Borja from the penalty spot. And as you said, Adam, Palmeiras did a fantastic job of taking Jorge Valdivia out of the match in that second leg. Uh, he did cause them some issues in the first leg, but I thought they marked him very well. Maybe as well as anybody has in this Libertadores and that kind of seemed to to take away from the Colo Colo attack, and, and they weren't really able to do much against Palmeiras. So a resounding 2-0 win, 4-0 on aggregate in the end. That sends them to the semifinal. And Luis Felipe Scolari maybe wasn't the most popular of hires, particularly outside the, the Palmeiras bubble. He's well-regarded by Palmeiras fans, led them to what is to this point their only Libertadores victory in 1999, but also... Uh, was relegated with the club in 2012 when they won the Copa do Brasil, yet were also relegated from the top division in Brazil. No fears of relegation this time around with Felipe Palmeiras. Our four points clear 
on at the top of the Brazilian table. They are probably the favorites to lift that title, though there's still a long way to go. They have a direct clash with Flamengo coming up actually in between the two matches with Boca Juniors, which will be very interesting. But what Scolari has done with Palmeiras, and you touched on it a little bit, Adam, is he shored up the back that was probably the biggest problem under Roger Machado. Palmeiras simply conceded goals that they shouldn't have conceded. They've been fantastic under Scolari. The defensive numbers have been brilliant. Uh, And he's also been able to rotate the squad, unlike what you see just about anywhere else in South America. This is a deep Palmeiras squad. They have deep-lined pockets due to their sponsorship with Trefisa. And they've been able to go and rotate their 11 for the league and not see a drop-off in quality. Gustavo Gomez and Luan have been the center backs in the Brasley Down. Edu Dracena and Antonio Carlos, the center backs during the Libertadores. And those two have inter- those two pairings have interchanged so well for Palmeiras. They've got two strikers that are scoring goals consistently. And Miguel Borja and Daverson, Dudu. Johan, William, uh, Moises, Lucas Lima in the midfield and wing positions. They've got three defensive midfielders that they trust in Thiago Santos, Bruno Henrique, and the much-criticized but still quite effective Felipe Melo. They've even got three goalkeepers who have started at points for the club and have started effectively. Jailson was the goalkeeper in 2016 when they won the Brasile down. Fernando Pras won the Copa do Brasil in 2015 with Palmeiras. And Weberton has come into the lineup here in 2018 and has been effective. So this is a deep, deep Palmeiras side. And maybe the biggest issue for Scolari is figuring out which 11 to play in this tie against Boca Juniors. Okay, and I think we we had a question on Twitter about the possible lineup um, for, Palm, for Palmeiras for this tie. Um it was from at E12J456C. Sounds a bit like a bot, really, um, on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll see Miguel Borja start for Palmeiras. He played well for Colombia away on international duty. Daverson has been scoring well. He bagged a brace against Gremio at the weekend. But Borja has been Palmeiras' guy in the Libertadores. I think he gets the start, particularly because, as I mentioned, Palmeiras have three massive matches in the span of a week. On Wednesday, they go to La Bombaneda. They play Boca Juniors, first leg Copa Libertadores. Then on Saturday, they turn around and go to Rio de Janeiro and play a Flamengo side, a suddenly resurgent Flamengo side, who are four points back of them in the league. And then they turn around on the following Wednesday and host the return leg against Boca Juniors at the Allianz Parque in Sao Paulo. So three huge matches in the span of a week. As I just touched on, Palmeiras are deep enough to rotate for these matches. So I think you'll see Borja play the first Libertadores match, Daverson play in the Brasile Down. And then depending on results, I think that'll determine who plays in the second leg. I think you'll see what has been the Libertadores 11, if you will, for Palmeiras against Boca Juniors in this first leg. Weberton in goal, Aduda Senna, Antonio Carlos in defense, uh, Mikey at, at right back for Palmeiras. Victor Luis, Diogo Barbosa could be either one at left back for Verdown. Moving forward to the midfield, Bruno Henrique, Felipe Melo, the two defensive midfielders, Moises sitting in front of them with Dudu on one of the wings and probably Willian, although I could see him coming off the bench instead and maybe you get Johan playing on the left for Palmeiras and then Miguel Borja in attack. But again, that that can switch for Verdown. 
There are players in this squad who have come in and, and have done well. Uh, Lucas Lima is a fantastic player who's been relegated to a bench role for the Libertadores. Alejandro Guerra, who is the player of the competition in the Libertadores, uh, has just finally returned from injury for Palmeiras and is another option. Um, Gustavo Scarpa, who finally had his move confirmed to Palmeiras from Fluminense, has returned from injury and is an option. Uh, Marcus Holsha, a player that I didn't mention, he might start at right back instead of Mikey. A lot of options for Philly Palm, but I think you'll see that core Libertadores 11 that you've seen throughout this competition for that match. And then you'll see that Brazilian down 11 get trusted for the match against Flamengo, although that could change if Palmeiras were to slip up this weekend uh, after we record this podcast against Ceará. Okay, let's move on to talk about Boca for a bit. Boca played out a dramatic two-legged tie to make it to the last four. Tom... In the absence of of Bocker in English, um, who we did invite on this pod, for I want to say that in case we get some complaints that we're being biased towards River or, or something. Um, yeah, how 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 did Bocker make it to to the last four? It was a pretty dramatic uh, clash with Cruzeiro, wasn't it? In the in the quarterfinals, there it was. It was the Libertadores. It's very best. It was the goal. There were controversy, there were sendings off, there were one nation thinking another nation's favoured by the Conmebol. It had all the ingredients of a classic Libertadores tie. So uh, over here in Buenos Aires, uh, Boca won the first leg 2-0. The main talking point was the sending off of the Cruzeiro centre-back, Dede, or there is a Brazilian pronunciation of that, isn't there, Austin? I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it. No, you got it. Oh, yeah? Okay. I thought it was more of like a GG or something like that. Um, but yeah, anyway, this, this, the, the guy was sent off in the, in the Bombonera in the first leg after going in for a challenge, a headed challenge on Boca's keeper. And the keeper got to the ball first, Andrada. And Dede came in late with his head. And the impact was so hard that he broke the goalkeeper's jaw. So that resulted in him being sent off after it was confirmed by the VAR. Because we shouldn't forget that now VAR is part of the latter stages of the the Libertadores. So the referee initially didn't send him off. He then goes to check the replay, sends off this centre-back when the score is 1-0. This is during the second half of the first leg. Um, And then that gap that he vacates in the centre of the Cruzeiro defence is inevitably exploited by Boca 10 minutes later. And they go 2-0 up and take quite a comfortable lead lead, sorry, over to uh, Belo Horizonte. Uh, and the second leg, uh, obviously Boca are 2 nil up, so they, they keep it quite tight for the first half. Uh, they manage to get to half-time, nil-nil. And then to start the second half, Cruzeiro get one goal back, so that means they're only 2-1 down now on aggregate. Um, so yeah, Boca were just, you know, all hands on deck, really, just trying to, just trying to keep that second goal from coming in. And, and they managed to do it. Uh, Cruzeiro threw everything they had at them but Boca held out and then right at the end in injury time I believe uh, they managed to find their, their star striker Christian Pavon in a bit of space on the wing and he smashed home the goal that, that sealed Boca's passage to the semi-final so a uh, very dramatic and controversial 3-1 win for Boca in the uh, quarterfinal. And Adam we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Dede getting sent off in the first leg and then having that red card overturned by Conable after the fact allowed him 
to be maybe the first player in world football history to get sent off in both legs of a knockout round tie because he then got himself sent off in the second leg. I was also wondering the same, if that's ever happened before. Probably has somewhere. And if it has, it's probably been in the Libertadores before. <laughs> we'll have to look through the history books. We were discussing pre-pog about Boca Juniors's um, goalkeeping situation. This is this is probably one of the most interesting aspects of, of this of, of of this tie, as as I suspect some of our listeners might already know, but in in case they don't, uh, as we've already mentioned, Andrade who has had his jaw broken, so. He's he he he's he's definitely out. I think of of the first leg at least. He he was replaced by replaced by Rossi, and he he had a couple of shaky moments. I I thought against Cruzeiro. How, how's he been doing there in the league, Tom? Um, yeah, I mean this is their their overall the main problem at the moment that Boca have had for a while. They you know they had some some shaky goalkeeping performances. Some of them from Rossi, and some of them from other goalkeepers in the last year or so. Um, so when they brought in Andrade, they really felt that security at the back that they'd been lacking for the last year. So about only about six or eight weeks into the poor guy's career with Boca, you know, he's a very promising young Argentine goalkeeper. Um, he's in this clash of heads with, with Dede in the quarterfinal and, and he picks up this injury. So Boca are back to where they were three months before with, with a... A situation where they have a couple of goalkeepers, but neither of them are quite at the level uh, that you would probably need to win the Libertadores. I think that's the way uh, even the Boca fans seem to agree with that here in Argentina. Yeah, so they signed the Bolivian international, Carlos Lampe, a goalkeeper I know quite well. He's been playing in Chile for the last couple of years for Huachabato, um, a team based in the south of Chile. Um, one of the standout goalkeepers here it has to be said, and he's had a fantastic last year or year or two. He kept two clean sheets against Chile in World Cup qualifying, which uh, which ended up you know doing a lot of harm to, to Chile's chances of qualifying to to Russia 2018. And and he's been a very consistent performer in the league as well. So yeah, he was signed. I've, I've seen plenty of interviews with Lampy, and he was very excited to be joining a team in the semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores. He kept saying how much he was looking forward to, to to playing in the semi-finals. Now, you spoke to Gabby, who runs Boca in English, no Tom, and according to him, and the, and the, and the noise is coming out of Boca. Is that Lampe's not going to to start after all? Precisely, yeah. So after going to all this this uh, going to these lengths to bring in a you know a reputable keeper uh, at such short notice, um, it seems that they will still stick with Rossi, uh, who, like I say, doesn't fill Boca fans with confidence. Um, so it's it's a strange situation. Um, so they're going into the Libertadores semi-final and. There's the potential for two or even three different goalkeepers to represent Boca in this quarterfinal. If, if Andrada was to recover by the second leg, he could potentially play. But at the moment, it seems like their new signing, uh, Lampe, will be watching from the bench and that Rossi will be starting. At least that's what Barrosquilotto is saying in the week before the semi-final. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see how this pans out, but it's definitely Boca's headache position at the moment. And, Tom, when you look at the, at the rest of this Boca side, 
question mark in goal, but other than that, not a whole lot of question marks for them. Along with Palmeiras, probably one of the deepest sides in South America, particularly when you look at the players who can come off the bench for Boca. Do you expect any major changes from Scalotto heading into this semifinal, or will it be kind of the players that have gotten there, Pavon, Zarate, Barrios, etc., Nandez, those type of players who you expect to be key for Boca come, going forward? Exactly, yeah. You won't see many surprises in the rest of the team. Um, the only real thing that you'll have to do is work out who to play in his in in the the forward line because he has really Scalotta has such a a good choice of forwards that the, the hardest thing for him is knowing which one to choose. They've got so much depth, like you say. Um, so yeah, I mean, all, all the Boca fans have the different opinions about who should be the central number nine out of these three strikers and who should play on each wing and. You know, is someone like Teres or Cardona being forced out of position if they play on the wing? So these are the type of debates they have about those three forward positions. But um, from what we can tell at the moment, you'll probably see uh, Pavon, of course. Um, probably Wanchope Aliba as the uh, number nine. And potentially Sarate as well as the other striker in that front three. Um, and like you say, that would leave on the bench, some amazing choices they would have. Uh, Villa, the Colombian international. Um, it would leave Cardona, Colombian international as well on the bench. And you've still got Carlos Tevez to think about. Uh, and this is without even mentioning Benedetto, who's struggling with a little knock at the moment. It's unclear how fit he's going to be for this tie. Um, but they could potentially have him back in the fold as well. So they just have this huge depth in attack. Uh, and, and the final question, really, for me, is is how Boca approached this first leg, especially given that Palmeiras did beat them 2-0 in the group stage. That will certainly be in their minds, I think, heading into this semi-final. Um, they certainly won't want a repeat of that result. So it could play into Palmeiras' hands a bit, where, where Boca might just be that little bit too cautious. What do you think, Tom? I think... Again, I think that Boca are going to need to try and win the home leg. Um, you know, we touched on it earlier. These, when an Argentine team gets a Brazilian team, uh, the feeling here in Buenos Aires is really we need to win the home leg. Um, be that one nil, two nil, two one. Um, you know, they do need to take some sort of lead with them to Sao Paulo, uh, but it's a dangerous game, like you say, because Palmeiras have the the pace to hit them on the counter. And really punish them, and they, that's exactly what happened in the group stage match as well. So it's it's a huge tactical dilemma for for Barrascalotto. He needs to work out a way to to really take this game to Palmeiras and and win it uh, without leaving spaces at the back that could be exploited on the counter. So it should be a fascinating tactical battle. And one quick thing to point out from a Palmeiras perspective here, guys, is. Palmeiras have been fantastic away from home in the Copa Libertadores so far. They've actually won every single away match that they've played. The three in the group stage against Junior, Alianza Lima, and Boca Juniors. And then the two in the uh, in the knockout rounds as well against Cerro Porteño and Colo Colo. So though Palmeiras will approach this pretty conservatively, they've been incredibly efficient away from home under both Hajar Machado and Scolari. So, so as Tom said, that first leg is huge for Boca because what's allowed Palmeiras to be so successful is that they haven't had to do too much when they've gone back home. They haven't been forced into that situation yet in this competition. So if Boca can put the pressure on Palmeiras 
They reacted well against Colo Colo, but this is a Palmeta side that has shown some mental fragility at very at, at plenty of points so far in both the Libertadores and the league. So if you can put this Palmeta side under pressure, there's a chance, and they haven't done this since that Cerro Porteño match, but there's a real chance that they could crack, and then that would have Boca sitting exactly where they want to be. So put the pressure on them, try to get under Palmeiras' skin, and you might just have some success. But on the flip side, they've been so impressive away from home, and they're going to look to continue that at La Bomanet on Wednesday night. Indeed, indeed. I, th- I, th- I think we'll leave it fair for today, guys. Um, I'm just going to quickly come back to you both to get any plugs and where people can find you on Twitter and that kind of thing. Tom, I'll come to you first. Uh, yeah, sure. So my I run the River in English uh, Twitter account, as you said before. Um, you can find me there at, at carp, C-A-R-P underscore english so i'll have all your river plate updates for anyone who wants to follow that thanks a lot for coming on the pod great debut and austin where can people find you adam where can they find me on twitter you've heard me do this plug so many times i feel like you could do it for me right Uh, i'm gonna go for at austin james 906 what does the 906 stand for you're so close. You're so close. There's an underscore in between the Austin ah, and the James. Oh, there you go. No, so close. Uh, that's where you can find me on Twitter. Plenty to talk about. Uh, Brazilian League coming to an exciting conclusion. Copa Libertadores. We just had an international window that was pretty interesting from a South American perspective. A couple of plugs from me. Scouting Spotlight podcast out right now. We just released uh, Matias Vargas, an interesting player at Velas in Argentina as well as Lucas Paqueta, which is one that all of the AC Milan fans who listen to our show will want to check out as his move to Milan has been confirmed. And another oldie but goodie scouting spotlight podcast, Wilmar Barrios, uh, the Boca Juniors player who you'll see on display in the Copa Libertadores. The Tottenham Hotspur rumors have continued to swirl around him. Another report today that that deal has been agreed. We'll see if that comes to fruition. Still a lot of time before the January transfer window. But if there's any Tottenham fans who are looking to check out Barrios, I promise he's better than you think he is if you've only seen him in the World Cup. Check out that Scouting Spotlight podcast as well. It's on my feed. I just tweeted it out recently today, so you shouldn't have to scroll too far to find it. But as always, keep checking out those Scouting Spotlight podcasts. There's a lot of really great gems in there. And as I said earlier, there should be one on Gremio's Everton out in the near future. I see that you avoided my question as to what the 906 stands for. It's just a random collection of numbers. I should probably get to changing that. I know. It was some kind of frequency that we can find you on at all times. Um, okay, and you can find me at AdamBrandon84 on Twitter. Um, and I do have something to plug, actually, on the World Football Index uh, website. You can find uh, a kind of a review that I did of a Brazil-Chile under-20 friendly international that took place here in Santiago on Monday. That was that, that was just two days after the two sides met in Rancagua, which is just a city just south of Santiago on the Saturday. Now, I attended the match on, on, on Monday, and, I, and from the two games, I kind of picked out four names that I thought will be worth looking out for um, certainly next year in the in the under 20 South American championships if um, if they're named in those squads but if not then just certainly going forward over over the next few years I, I think those four players that I picked 
two from Chile and two from Brazil. Certainly have very promising futures in the game. Um, that, that wraps us up for today, and it's just left for me to say a huge thanks to our listeners. A big thanks to Austin and Tom for joining me on the pod, and it's goodbye. <laughs>